0: good to be here and uh, to gather with the church family that's here. Uh, you know, we always know that uh, this is a New Year's weekend, and so uh, didn't uh, we knew that there'd be people traveling and people that were uh, uh, at home watching us on uh, video or traveling and listening to it later in the day. And yet, uh, when that cold front hit, uh, I knew that there'd be a few more people that would be home watching on video. But I am glad that y'all have gathered with us. I told Susan, I hope it's not just me, you, and Matthew here uh, to worship today. Uh, I noticed when I put my new calendar up that the temperature changed. Uh, I hope that we're not still sane in February about the 20th that 2022 is colder than 2021. Uh, We don't need that after what we experienced last February. But it is chilly today and it is good to gather in this warm place with you to worship our Lord. I'm excited because I get to begin a new series. And we're going to be studying the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians was the first New Testament book written most scholars hold that view we're gonna we're not gonna dig too much into some introductory material but like I do when I start a new book I want to give you a little bit of background one of the cool things that we're gonna be doing in our growth groups now right now in your growth group you're studying three uh, weeks three lessons that coincide with kind of three pillars of the foundational belief or or mission of our church Uh, those are if you were in your growth group today you studied uh, exalting the Savior. That is one of the the, the three parts of our vision statement that we desire to do regularly here. Next week we'll talk about uh, in your growth groups you'll be studying what it means to uh, evangelize the lost. And then the third week you'll be looking at equipping the saints. Those are the three E's that have kind of been a foundational uh, uh, vision statement or mission statement for us at First Baptist Wataga for the last 17 years. Uh, we, we moved that direction when I came here as your pastor. And so that's your growth group uh, studies right now. But what's going to happen after that third week, after d in your growth groups, you're going to begin to study the Apostle Paul's call to missions, call to ministry where he's saved. You'll study his call and you'll study his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14 you'll also end up studying the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and we'll end when he's getting ready to go on a second missionary journey uh, with he and Barnabas and they have a kind of a breakup at that point there's a reason that we're doing that because the book of Galatians was Paul's first letter and he wrote the book of Galatians to the churches of Galatia, which were the churches that he planted in the first missionary journey as he traveled with Barnabas. So I want you to hear that because uh, there, there's two theories about the dating of, Galatia, uh, of Galatians. One of them is that it was written to that southern part of Galatia, the southern churches, which in modern day, if, if you can put a Middle Eastern map in your head, uh, Turkey now sits it, uh, across what was the the region of Galatia in biblical times in the Roman Empire, and so southern Galatia, when the apostle Paul and Barnabas took their first missionary journey from Antioch, they went across the sea to to Cyprus and Crete to an island, evangelized there, started some churches there in Acts 13, then they traveled north uh, across the, the Mediterranean again, and they landed in uh, Antioch. They traveled up to Antioch of Syria and, and of Galatia. I'm sorry, and then you'll you'll remember names. We'll get into this because you're going to study it in your in your growth groups. Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. Those were all towns where he and Barnabas planted their first churches. All of those churches were in Galatia. So then, when the apostle Paul came back to to Antioch, where his Uh, the church that launched that mission trip, he wrote a letter back to those churches. Uh, Now, certainly there was a lot of, of conflict and challenges among those churches because when Paul planted those churches, a lot of the people who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ were Jewish. And so you had a big conflict among the Jews about whether Jesus was the Messiah or whether he was not the Messiah and so you had what came behind Paul as no they they became known as Judaizers or the circumcision party and Galatians this letter will focus a lot on that you had this; these folks who would come behind Paul and say, look, Paul's not teaching you the truth. Before you can be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. Before you can be a Christian, you have to become a Jew. And so you had a false gospel that... that was preached in those churches after Paul left, Galatians, to a large extent, this letter is a defense of Paul's apostolic authority, that he was called by God and he was called by Christ. Galatians is also a defense of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll see a large focus on what Paul understands the gospel to be and the pure gospel. And in fact, the theme of Galatians is freedom. If you ever, uh, if you remember some of the old Warren Wearsby series, it was a series of commentaries called the B series. And and they would just simply be, it was a two word title, each one of those commentaries. The one for uh, Philippians he called Be Joyful. The one for Galatians was simply titled Be Free. Because the overarching theme of the letter to the Galatians is you are set free in Christ. You are free from the law. You're free from the constraints of, of the, the religious uh, pressure or the religious exercises of Judaism, in Christ, you've been set free from your sin, and you've been, you're free to worship God. You're free to come into the presence of God in Christ. And so there's a heavy focus on that freedom Of the gospel but there's also a focus on a freedom to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians we'll study the fruit of the Spirit later on and and you'll find that in Christ you have a freedom to experience fullness of life without the constraints of legalism and the law so freedom in Christ is one of the 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 it's the main emphasis of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, Paul suffered a lot as he went on that missionary journey. Uh, In in one town, he was literally stoned, drug outside of the city. They stoned him, and they left him thinking he was dead. And so Paul's writing back to these churches whom he loves dearly, but also they're being impacted by the same persecution that he faced while he was there. So you'll see some hints of that as we study uh, the book of Galatians. So there's some introductory material for you. Uh, You'll get to see some of that and it'll be really cool. So if if you're not plugged into a growth group, I'd encourage you to do that. The next couple weeks on Sunday mornings and our Wednesday night growth group, if you can't come on Sunday mornings, uh, we have one for adults on Wednesday night. You'll be studying the, the last two of the three E's, but then you'll dig into Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 9, where a foundation for this study of Galatians uh, will help you understand the Sunday morning preaching better. So there you go. There's my plug for the growth group. And it's not just a, a vain plug. I'd encourage you uh, to, to learn more because it'll help uh, with your understanding of this text. With all of that laid out, and I normally, I obviously, don't do this. I'm launching a new series, so usually i launch my sermons a little bit different. Uh, but I wanted to get some of that out there, and let me lead us in a word of prayer. And what we're going to do today is we're going to study Paul's introduction to this letter. Okay, Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you especially for Jesus, who is the focus of this first letter of the New Testament that was ever written. Lord, I pray that as we study your word together, that we would be excited about the freedom that we have in Christ, about the privilege that we have to experience your grace and to experience your peace. Lord, that we would uh, grab a hold of the glory of the gospel, the good news that has transformed not just our hope for life today, but our hope for eternity. Lord, let your word ignite something in us that excites us about the relationship that you're offering us and the freedom that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have wiped away the requirements of the law because they've been fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. Let Him be our focus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, read with me the text. Today we're gonna look at that first five verses, the introduction uh, to the epistle as Paul writes back to these churches that he had planted earlier that year. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Oftentimes, I look at the greetings to letters when when I study them for a, a Sunday school class, or or we study to prepare to preach, and I look at the greeting, or I look at the ending of a letter, and just say, "How much is there?" I mean, what, what Paul's saying? Howdy, you know. We, we we write, "Dear church family," when I send out a lot of the emails, and this is kind of Paul's "Dear church family," but in oftentimes in in ancient letters and epistles they there would be a little bit more of an extended greeting than what we would write and Paul does that here and in in each of Paul's letters or in several of his letters probably the best way to put this he includes some hints to uh, what's to come some foreshadowing that's based on issues that he's dealing with with that particular church and that's what we're gonna see here now remember the book of Galatians, I believe, is the first, the earliest book of the New Testament actually written down. When Paul came back from the first missionary journey in late 48 AD, he wrote this letter back to the Galatian churches that were having trouble. Some of the Gospels were written later. The Gospel of John was written much later uh, than this letter was. Uh, there's some arguments among scholarship about whether this was the first letter written or 1 Thessalonians was the earliest of the of the of the books written of the New Testament. But most scholarship believes that this this was the earliest. And so one of the things that you'll see as we walk through Galatians is Paul's growth. One of the other things that you see here, though, is Paul's defense of his apostleship. Paul was not one of those 12 that Jesus originally called. Certainly, we know that. And in fact, uh, he wasn't among the 11 uh, after Judas uh, betrayed Christ and died. And so Paul's apostleship is not based upon his actual walk with Christ in the three years of his ministry on earth. Paul's apostleship is based on his calling on the road to Damascus. And once again, we'll study that in the growth groups. But Paul here, he he argues that I wasn't called by men even though I, jesus had already died and jesus had already rose again in fact jesus had already ascended to the father before paul began his ministry paul his apostleship did not come because james or peter or john came knocking on his door and said hey paul would you come join our side in fact, the story is much the opposite of that. The Apostle Paul was the great persecutor of the church. The Apostle Paul was one of the leaders who stood there and watched Stephen, who was the first person from, from the church who was stoned to death for his faith. Scripture makes a point to say Paul was standing there holding on to the, watching over people's coats. They took their coats off so they could throw bigger rocks, and Paul was helping. And and then after that, the scripture tells us that Paul, who was an up-and-coming Pharisee among the Jews, uh, took it a step further. And he actually got permission from, from political leadership to go to Christians' homes, drag them out of their houses to have them persecuted or to have them stoned. That's the same. Now, his, he was called Saul early in Acts. That was his given name. And, and God changed his name like he did many of the others of the New Testament times. But Saul was a great persecutor of the church. And so he wasn't called by the church to join. And, and in fact, when God met him on the road to Damascus and Paul was converted, God told him right then that he was going to send him out as a missionary to the Gentiles. And that's the, the, the calling upon which Paul bases his ministry. In Galatians, a little bit further on, we're going to find then that, that Paul goes off for three years into the desert and just spends time with God studying the Word. And he's going to make an argument that he really didn't even learn the gospel from the church leadership, from Peter, James, or John, or any of the other apostles. Paul's going to make this argument that he learned of the gospel by digging into the Old Testament and, and studying what Jesus did and how Jesus was the Messiah who fulfilled the Old Testament uh, promises, prophecies. And so Paul's argument here is that, look, I wasn't called by men. I didn't come from a, 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 some type of, of a group that pushed me out, nor was I, uh, was I called f- from men, or the two words he uses here that's it's interesting, I was not from men nor by men. My, my call to be an apostle didn't come from either one of those places. My call to apostleship came directly from God. He was met on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by a great light. God spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Nobody else heard the sound, but Saul did, and he went blind. And and after that call, he was absolutely transformed. Transformed to the point that Barnabas, who's going to become key in this study as we walk through uh, those lessons in our growth groups, Barnabas was the one who came to Paul, saw that he was truly changed and brought Paul to the leadership of the church because they didn't want anything to do with him. They thought it was some kind of Trojan horse, some kind of trap that he was going to come persecute them as well. And yet, there was clearly a change and a transformation that took place in Saul's life as God transformed him and gave him a new name. His call wasn't from Men, but it was from Christ and from God the Father. He tells us right here in verse 1. I want to pause there just to make application to to you and I. Because the God who saves us always has a calling for us. If you have been saved by Christ... If you've been saved by the blood of Christ, he has a purpose for your life that goes beyond this world. He has a purpose for you to impact others for his kingdom. I believe that that is true of every single individual. Some of you, your your calling is is first and foremost to your family. God has placed a calling in how you are to, to care for and to watch over your family. I, I, my wife, when, when we first got married, she believed that though she had was called to go to college, she believed that she had a certain she, she felt like that someday uh, she was going to be a school counselor, but she believed that when we began to have children that her first calling was to be a godly mother and housewife and help those kids grow in those those foundational fundamental years, and, and later on she went forward to fulfill uh, that further calling so it may not always work out the way you originally see it. But when God saves you, he has a purpose for you, he has a plan for you, and he's placed a call on your life. Now, some people, we we tend to think that, well, that must be a call to some kind of greatness. That's not always the case, at least as the human mind sees greatness. See, I believe that, that the greatest that you can do with the call that God's placed on your life is not purpose to be great, but purpose to be faithful. And that's really all that Paul sought to do. God called him to a particular task. He didn't purpose to be wealthy. He didn't purpose to become a, a mega church leader. Paul purposed to be faithful, and that took him to a lot of hard places, But when Paul comes to the end of his life, here we are at the beginning of his ministry, when he comes to the end of his life and he writes to Timothy, his focus is not on whether or not, on on how many churches he planted or how many people were saved or, or how many great deeds he did. Paul's purpose was, I fought the good fight. I've remained faithful to God. So my question for each of us is, First, to what has God called you? And then second, have you been faithful to that call? To what has God called you? And have you been faithful? I'm not talking about a call from men. I'm talking about your call from God. And maybe you've missed it. Maybe you've never really been challenged that way to say, what is it that God has called me to? But I assure you that if you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, God has a purpose and a plan for you. He has, a, he has called you to something. Have you been faithful to what He has called you? So Paul begins by emphasizing his call in verse one and the fact that his call is from God. Second, And part of that is, is, as I said, it's a defense of of his apostolic authority. He's having people say, he's not a real apostle. He's not on the level as those other guys. And so Paul is is arguing uh, that God called him and that, his, he does have apostolic authority. Second, Paul extends his greeting. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because this is really the, the high and, and uh, you know, dear church, so to speak, part of the letter. But verse 1 through 3 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Very simply, Paul extends the greeting and lets us know specifically who he's writing to. He's not writing to one church. Understand, he planted a lot of churches in the region of Galatia. He's writing, intending that this letter be taken and read at at each one of those churches or delivered to each one of those churches that he planted throughout the Galatian region. And so Paul writes back to them and he says, to the churches at Galatia. I'm, I'm writing not just on my own behalf, but I'm writing on behalf of all of the brothers who are here with me. Now, who specifically those brothers are? Paul doesn't list. Sometimes in his greeting he does. He says, this letter's coming from me, Timothy, and Silas. Okay? In this one he says, it is simply from Paul, an apostle, and the brothers who are with me. Uh, one of the things I think Paul's doing there is emphasizing the fact that he's not on his own in this understanding or proclamation of the gospel. This is not Paul's gospel. This is the gospel, you understand the difference and he wants them to understand that the brothers who are with him probably those other church leaders at the church at Antioch where believers were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11 it's probably those brothers that, that are uh, the authority so to speak alongside and behind Paul uh, that, that proclaiming that this is the gospel and so Paul says all the brothers that are with me and he extends this greeting or this prayer grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that he wishes upon them is God's grace. It is in God's grace that we're going to find salvation. It is God's in God's grace that we're going to find freedom. It's in God's grace that we're going to find hope. And if we'll focus on the grace of God, and the grace that he's poured out upon us, we will find peace. Because peace is gonna be intimately connected to God's grace. You will not be able to walk in peace unless first you understand and walk in God's grace. It is his grace that has offered us an incredible eternal gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And until we received his gift of grace to us, we will not have peace with God. Our spirit will continue in sin and will continue to be at war with God. And so Paul's wish for them, and this is once again a foreshadowing of what's to come, is that they would understand the grace of God and that they would receive his peace. And that grace and peace originates from one source, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not find true grace and peace in this life until you're walking in the right relationship with God the Father and God the Son. Grace and peace originates from his throne. Now, I want to extend that just a little bit for our application today. Because we live in a world that seems to do, extend anything and everything except grace and peace. You don't have to watch TV, listen to the news, or spend much time on social media until you find arguments and bickering and fighting. And one of the saddest things, and maybe it's just because of the the circles that I'm in on social media, I see that kind of bitterness and fighting between believers. Where instead of extending grace to each other, we pick at each other. And we look for failure in each other. And we look for shortcomings in each other. I believe that that too is a foreshadowing of what Paul is going to argue and what he's going to tell us later on. If you follow me on Facebook or on any social media, there's a, a passage that the Lord has, has embedded in me. that I, I'm going to look for every chance I can over the next few months to post this passage from Galatians. It's from Galatians chapter 5 so we won't get there in the preaching until later on but I just want you to hear it because we will not have grace and peace as prevalent characteristics of our life until we hear understand and walk in this truth he says in in Galatians 5 13 you were called to be free brothers and sisters not only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but to serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. We live in a world where we are too quick to ask for grace and too slow to extend grace. If I... Desire grace from you, I need to be willing to extend grace to you. If we refuse to extend grace, we automatically choose to deny peace. If I'm looking to pick a fight with you all the time on whatever, an pers- issue of personality, an issue of doctrine, or whatever it is, if, if I'm always at odds, And I'm unwilling to extend grace and say, look, you may disagree with me. That's okay. I'm going to love you anyway, because we're called to love each other. I automatically discount peace. If I'm picking an argument and I'm picking a fight, there won't be peace. And so we have to begin with grace and peace and choose to walk there. So Paul's prayer for a church that was in conflict... A church that had the Judaizers who had come in and they were bringing a different gospel that we'll look at next week. Uh, They were arguing that uh, they're they're trying to add to the gospel or they're trying to to twist the the story of the gospel. So these churches are in conflict. Paul's prayer for them is grace and peace. It wasn't peace, then grace. It was grace and peace. You won't have peace if you haven't received the grace of God and are willing to extend the grace of God. So Paul extends his greeting with his prayer that they might give grace and experience peace. And then the meat of this intro is found in verse 4. Because he, he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he is going to expound on Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And this truly does give you a hint of where the, this letter is headed. Because the primary focus of this letter is going to be on Paul's soteriology. On his understanding of salvation. And it's going to be on, on uh, Jesus himself. And so here he says, who Jesus, now this is Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Paul then expounds on the gospel here. Now, the, a lot of this letter is going to be arguing various aspects of Paul's understanding of the gospel. But there's four aspects that appear here in this text that I want to give you. The first one is this. It's this sacrificial aspect. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who came, we just celebrated, who was born to a virgin in a manger, who was worshiped by angels who was celebrated by shepherds and who was who, who, who his very birth caused kings and wise men to march hundreds of miles for weeks and months simply to come worship him, to bring him gifts, and to see the miracle that caused this new star to light up the night sky. That Jesus who was born in the manger, that same Jesus had stepped out of heaven And entered into the virgin's womb to be born here for this purpose. To give himself for our sins. He came to die. He came as a sacrifice. And his sacrifice was enough. Paul is writing back to these these churches who are being attacked by the Judaizers. Who are being attacked and, and trying to be torn aside or pulled aside by the circumcision party. It wasn't the the heathens that drug Paul out of Lystra to stone him to death. It was the Jews that drug him out of Lystra to stone him to death. It was his kinsmen. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Jews until God met him on the road to Damascus. It was his very people who tried to kill him. So these people are trying to destroy the churches that he launched. Paul writes back to them and says, remember, Jesus is your sacrifice. And he's going to argue throughout the book of Galatians that his sacrifice was enough. So here you get a a foreshadowing of what's to come. The gospel is, is based upon the sacrifice of the Son of God who gave himself up for your sins and my sins. I don't have to die for my sin because Jesus died for my sin. The second aspect that you see here is this redemptive aspect. He came that we might have... Forgiveness through the sacrificial death of Christ, but he also came to rescue us. He came to do something that you and I could not do. We talked about this on Christmas Eve. We could not do enough good deeds to reach up to a holy God. And so a holy God came down to earth to rescue us, to save us. Paul tells Titus in one of the last letters that he wrote, he says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. He came to rescue you and I, to redeem you and I. That we might be a new people, a changed people. He took us out, he says in Colossians. He, He removed us from this kingdom of darkness. And he transferred us into the kingdom of light. He took us out of a place where there was no hope. And he placed us into his kingdom as his heir, as his child, as his son. He rescued us from certain death and eternal death and eternal punishment. He rescued us and brought us back to himself so that we could call out to him, Abba, Father. Jesus rescued us. No one else could have rescued us. There was no other hope except for the Son of God himself. And he came and he did that for you and for me. So he speaks here of the sacrificial aspect of the gospel, the redemptive aspect of the gospel. He also mentions uh, shortly here the eschatological aspect of the gospel. I took a, a, a couple courses from... Uh, uh, Dr. E. Earl Ellis, who was a a renowned scholar who had taught many places around the world and for a short period of time was teaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I I had the privilege of taking him for a class on on Paul's life and his theology. And he focused in on two two themes that undergird all of Paul's theology because everything else kind of branches off of that. And both of those themes are highlighted here in Galatians The first one is Paul's Christology, so his study of Christ. That's actually the primary focus of Galatians. But we get a hint here of the second one, and that's Paul's eschatology. And that's not just his view of what's to come in the future, but it's Paul's theology of of how history's played out on God's timeline. That may be the best way to put it. So from, from the fall of Adam, you had sin reign on this earth and you'll see that referred to by paul in his letters as this age or this present age or this evil age And, and and up until jesus died and rose again when jesus entered this world he offered an opportunity to become part of a new age a different age And and that's the age in which we live right now. Some would refer to it as the church age, but it's an age that will extend forever into the future, the kingdom age. And so you'll hear some of this language when, when Jesus first appears to John the Baptist. John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, that didn't mean that he was about to wipe out the Romans and, 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 and launch a new uh, physical kingdom on earth, but you have this, this new age, and we were delivered from, when you're born again, you're delivered from this present evil age into God's kingdom age, the age to come, and you get to, you get to be a part of that. Now, the struggle for us is we're still in this world. And on earth right now until Jesus returns, you have this tension between the old age, you might call it, the present age, and the kingdom age. The kingdom's already here. Wherever the Holy Spirit resides, wherever the Holy Spirit is enthroned, empowered in the church, in God's people, the kingdom is already here. And yet you have this overlap until Christ returns and destroys puts an end to the evil age. So Paul here hints at the eschatological aspect, his understanding that Christ has come to rescue us from this present evil age. And he has transferred us into his kingdom age. And then, then the third aspect of Paul's expounding of the gospel here is this messianic aspect. And he, he simply says that this all was done According to the will of our God and Father. It's not as though God sent his son and uh-oh, he got murdered. It was everything that took place happened according to the will of God the Father. Everything. Jesus' birth. Jesus' His. his his childhood, Jesus' adult years as a carpenter until it was time for him to enter into ministry, Jesus' years of ministry, Jesus' brutal crucifixion, his death, and certainly his resurrection and his ascension. All was done according to the will of the Father. It was prophetic, it was prophesied, it was planned, and it was purposed. All for his glory. All of it was done as an his planned purpose to save us, to redeem his people. The sacrifice, the suffering, the death, and the victory in the resurrection was all purposed and planned by a sovereign God to rescue those whom he loved. So Jesus was born Jesus lived, Jesus died as a sacrifice to redeem and rescue you and me. This will all get fleshed out in detail in various ways. In in Galatians, Paul digs into Old Testament examples and and helps us to understand from the Old Testament how God was doing this all along. And so it's a beautiful picture of how in Christ we've been rescued and set free from our sin and set free from the law, set free from religion that we might in freedom worship a holy God. And then lastly here, in this introduction, Paul exalts the Savior. Paul wants us to understand that as this was done by God, according to the will of God, all of the glory belongs to God. He's the one deserving of our worship. He's the one deserving of of our praise. Not any one of us is deserving of our praise. Paul was not preaching the gospel for his glory. Paul's desire, once again, was not to be great. Paul's desire was to be faithful so that the gospel might be lifted up, that that God's people might be drawn to him, that churches might be launched all for the glory of God. I, once again, I believe that if your focus and your desire is first to be great, Even to to be great at what you do. I I think that this is a struggle for pastors. Anyone in the ministry as well. I want to be a great pastor. I want to pastor a great church. Well, that's wonderful. But oftentimes when you say that, it's because you're focusing on your desire for yourself. It's about pride. I believe that a desire to greatness is more about pride than it is about God's glory. So we ought to make it our first desire to be faithful so that God get the glory for what he's done. Paul ends his little introduction to his letter here. You would think that this would be a statement that you tack on at the end of the letter. Sometimes Paul puts it in the middle of his letters uh, after he finishes his theological treaty. Ephesians, for instance, he he does a whole bunch of theology. He has an amen in there, and then he does some practical things. Kind of does the same thing in Romans. Here, right at the beginning of the letter, he reminds the church that this is not about me. It's about the glory of God. The gospel is about the glory of God. The, the, The life, death, birth, Resurrection of his son was about the glory of God. It's whom God raised from the dead. He says back in verse 1. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul can't give us grace and peace. But God the Father can. And salvation comes from Jesus. According to God's plan. According to God's purpose. According to God's will. So he's the one deserving of all of the glory. If our life is focused on being great, we're missing out on who really is great. So as we launch into this new year, two things for you. If you have any question whatsoever, and as I look around this crew, I know most of you, and I know most of you well, but if you have any question whatsoever about where you stand in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ... Have you been redeemed? Have you been rescued? Have you been saved by God? And I want to plead with you. If you're not certain of that, I pray that you'd get that settled. What better way to start the new year than with a new relationship with a God who sent his son to die on the cross for you, that you might have eternal life? So if you don't know for sure that you're saved, that you're rescued by God's grace, Come talk to Nathan or I about it. In just a moment, we're going to have a a hymn of response. We're going to plead with you. Just simply come talk to one of us about it. But my challenge for many of you who know Christ is to live life out in such a way this year that he is honored, that he's glorified. Don't pursue your greatness pursue faithfulness each and every day I believe that if you get to December the 31st of 2022 and you can look back and you can say I was faithful to the Lord's call I was faithful to what he asked me to do you'll get to the end and you'll find out that it was a great year and it may very well be the greatest year ever If you'll be faithful every day, because that's what God's looking for in us. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.